Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion Lamb Ministries, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat service here at B'nai Shalom. As you know, we are in the midst of the fall holidays. We just had Rosh Hashanah recently, and we'll soon be having Yom Kippur. And after that, we'll be having the Feast of Tabernacles, in which that we will be out at the camp uh, observing that, leaving our homes, living in our sukkahs, uh, out there for it. Uh, I pray that your fall holidays are joyous and that uh, are refreshing to you. I would like to make a personal reminder to you that the Lord commands us on these holidays that we are not to come before him empty-handed, that you should be designating some sort of a gift uh, to the Lord uh, during this time. And uh, if you'd like to do that and send a gift to Lion and Lamb Ministries, we'll certainly receive it in the spirit of that. And we'll say thank you for helping us with this ministry to meet its needs and to be able to continue to stay on the air, uh, sharing the faith with all of you. <coughs> As I want to remind everybody about their getting ready to come to the Feast of Tabernacles, bring that, that form that uh, went in your confirmation package. It needs to be filled out, be ready to turn in as you come to the gate. And also, I want to encourage you to get our app, the Tabernacles app, for your smartphone so you can download and it gives you a whole bunch of information about what's going on at our Tabernacles and including the daily schedule and who the different teachers are. It even gives the menu for the evening meal for the camp while we're out there. A lot of useful information and if you have one of those type of phones, uh, please avail yourself of that. The, um, for those of you who can't physically come to the camp, again, we're broadcasting certain Sukkot events. And for a simple donation, you can receive those, receive those uh, streaming videos, and go to the Tabernacles page. It will tell you all about that and how the, you can be a part of our Feast of Tabernacles and, and still be where you're at at home or whatever the case may be. One last reminder, uh, you know, as soon as this fall holiday is over with, we have Hanukkah coming up in December. We will be holding a conference at Hanukkah, activities for all members of the family. It'll be in December. Go to the HanukkahEvent.com page. It'll give you all the information you need to know. And if you want to be a part of it, you can register at that location. All right. Uh, let's go to Kiddush. Uh, and uh, begin to enjoy our Sabbath. Shalom. We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. 
Amen. Now the Kiddush, the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGafen Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadunai Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and bless you and thank you for the wonderful wives that you've given to us in our homes. Father, I thank you for the wonderful wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she takes care of our children, as she teaches and educates them, and as she takes care of the home and me. Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart, and I pray that you would pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. I love her and thank you for the unmerited favor and grace that you have given me, Lord, through her. So I thank you, Lord, on this Shabbat, and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu etarunai hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvarach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha, Baelimadonai. Michamocha, Nedaharbachodesh. No ratechilot. Oh, Praise, 
Doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech, ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabbat, la'asot et hashabbat, ladrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael othit le'olam, keshashet yamim asadonai et hashamayim v'et haaretz v'yom hashavi shavat v'yinafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha Veheyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim ezavcha hayom alevavecha. Veshinantam lavenecha, vedepardabam beshiftecha, beyetecha, uvlechtecha, vederech ushakpika, uvkumika. Ukershatam la ota yadecha, veheyu la totavolt binenecha, uchetatama mozuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 31, where our portion will begin for this week. And as always, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'chabanu mikol ha'amim, venatan lanu et horato, baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha'amein. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from, from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Vayelech, uh, which is Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is the shortest Torah portion in all of the Torah cycle. All that it contains is only the chapter, chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. This almost feels like as we're coming to toward the end of our Torah cycle, it seems like every word is almost more impactful, more important. It's almost like the spiritual instruction that comes from Moses is almost more concentrated 
saturated, if you will. As we come here toward the end, um, our portions are getting shorter, and I almost I do like that that's the way that it is, so that we can almost concentrate and meditate on the words that are being spoken here. It's coming down to the final words of this man who was Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, who, who had the burning bush experience and who went through all the trials and tribulations of, of bringing the children out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, the children of Israel complaining left and right, testing the Lord ten times, losing his ticket to the promised land, all of these things. And, and these are the final words of this man who was Moses. It is also interesting that as we're coming toward the end of his life, we're getting almost the reminder that Moses was just a man. In fact, as we come to the very last Torah portion, the beginning of that in Deuteronomy chapter 33, it says, this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel. And here at the beginning of our Torah portion in chapter 31, it says this, um, Moses went and spoke all these words to the children of Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. And so we're reminded of Moses, this, this man who was almost larger than life, who brought an entire nation out of slavery and turned and, and was the transition that God called to transition these people that were slaves into a nation, into a kingdom of priests. Yet let us remember that Moses was just a man. That through his words, he did everything that he could. He lived to 120 years old. Many of the uh, uh, scholars and people have said that this is, that, that this representation is very significant of Moses living 120 years. Because it says back in Noah, after the judgment of the flood, that God specifically said and gave a judgment and said, I will not strive with man more than 120 years. It's interesting about that is that there were people that lived longer than that after the flood. And now it's almost like Moses and through what God did that this is now the oldest that man will be. In fact, there's many stories that are even today. And it just seems like whenever you see the Guinness World Record for the oldest person that's still alive today, they're still somewhere under the uh, the age of 120 that. This is that that's a fulfillment of that prophecy that God will not strive with man longer than 120 years. There's also a greater spiritual principle of that where um, if we look at the age of time, age of man, we believe the world is about 6,000 years old. And in that, if we were counting the times that there is, it's interesting in that number, that there is exactly 120 jubilee years every 50 years through the course of a 6,000 year period. And so if the Lord could be fulfilling that prophecy as well by saying, I will not strive with man longer than 120 jubilee years, which we then believe the Lord will return in the year 6,000. So it's almost like this this culmination of Moses's age being 120 is talks about the age of man, the end of man, and can, can tie into other parts of scripture. Let me continue reading on here and let us listen and let these words resonate with us as we're coming here toward the end where we have fewer words here in our Torah portions, but we still are concentrating on what is the Lord trying to teach us even here today in our personal lives. The Lord has said to me, again, uh, Moses speaking, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. You shall dispossess them. Joshua himself 
crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and in their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Some of this language is things that we've already heard before. We've kind of heard the, it, the whole story of the book of Deuteronomy. It's almost, it still sounds like it's on repeat, constantly saying the same things. The Lord will go in before you, you'll destroy the nations, you'll dispossess them out of the land. Be strong and of good courage when you go in. Joshua himself will be the leader after me. But as we're saying it's i can almost see this as the man moses when he says i can no longer come in and go out it's almost like he's trying to leave nothing left unsaid even if it seems like he's said the same thing over again he wants to he's pouring his heart out as a last will and testament of this man to say these things to to again to speak these things and praying that the children of israel will follow and keep these commandments even after they go into the land but we know And Moses knew that when they went in the land, they still would disobey. They still would reject the covenant. And there's even another prediction here again in this portion of Israel's rebellion. When they go into the land, they will follow after other gods and they will forsake the covenant that God has made with them. That still didn't stop Moses from every breath that he has left to speak and encourage and strengthen them. That verse there uh, that is uh, verse 6 of chapter 31. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes before you and he will not leave you nor forsake you. What an amazing encouraging verse that is. I encourage anybody if you don't have uh, what some people call a home verse or something, a, a single verse that you have memorized that encourages you in your walk, in your strength. This is an excellent verse to choose. It's also easy to remember because many people remember the verse John 3.16, well, 3.1.6 will go to Deuteronomy 31.6, and you can remember this verse as well. It's encouraging. It's strengthening. There's one thing, though, that I would add to it. Not that I'm a proponent of adding to the Scripture, um, but for those that people that do take notes in your Scripture and, and, and things like that, if that is a verse that encourages you, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, be strong, be courageous, add one little note to that that will be a reminder that will help you through times of trouble. And that note is this. He said he will never leave you nor forsake you, but he never said it would be easy. He never says that necessary that everything will come easy, that blessings will just pour out and you'll just have all of these things. No, the children of Israel, even though they're being commanded to go into the land, dispossess all of the kingdoms that live there, it's still going to take hard work, perseverance. They're going to go up to the city called Jericho and they're going to have to walk around the city seven times, blowing ram's horns and it was going to, and then the walls would come tumbling down. Don't you think by like day four, day five, that the people who are continuing to walk and walk around and it's like they got tired. Their feet started to hurt. They were following what God said, but many people probably turned to one another and said, look, why are we even doing this, man? This is hard. However, if you're listening to the command of God, he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to be hard. It doesn't mean that you won't experience pain. It doesn't mean that you won't experience suffering and struggles and trials and tribulations. But through it all, God will still be there with you. 
Let that be an encouragement to you that as we struggle through life, you know, and, and then somebody stands up, somebody who's encouraged of the Lord to speak life into someone else and says, you know, be strong. This too will pass. You can get through this. The Lord is usually using that person, that spirit of that person, to lift you up and encourage you. And that extra little note might be the thing, the little reminder, the, the thing that's not said that is this. Hey, it's going to be hard. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a struggle. But the Lord is still with you. You can still be courageous. You have, don't have to fear the enemies and the things that come against you. One of the other things too that is always a rule of thumb every time you're reading the scripture, especially the Torah here toward the end. When you see Joshua taking leadership over the children of Israel, I love this that Joshua shares his name, Yehoshua, with Yeshua of Nazareth, the Messiah. It's the same name. It's the same same Hebrew word, both meaning salvation. It's the same name. It's almost too easy for you to just make that parallel every single time that, look, we have Moses. We have the commandments and the words and the instructions from Moses, through the law of Moses, yet he's, his life is coming to an end. Our leadership is now going to transition to Yehoshua, Yeshua, and that then he is then going to be the one that actually takes us to the promised land, remembering all the words that Moses had said. The two work hand in hand. And in, for those of us in our messianic faith, that we have the Torah, the teaching and the instruction of the commandments from the, that are in the first five books of, the Mo, of Moses, the Torah, and that we take those words, those commandments, those instructions, and those are to be a remembrance and in our back pocket when we then profess our leader, our, our following of Yeshua, our Messiah, who is our king, who is our leader, and we now follow him. And the two work hand in hand. And so I like to look at it this way that, you know, some people, the words on the page, the, the words become alive and powerful. And those that grew up in the Christian church turn back to Torah. And then these words just come alive. And what I always believe that, that works, the way that works is this, is that the words they read on the page finally confirms what's in their heart and in their spirit, what they learned in Sunday church, sitting in pews and hearing the first place they ever heard the greatest commandment of the Lord was there because Yeshua spoke of that. Then when they find out where it originally came, came from through the law of Moses, it becomes alive and the words just jump off the page. I also believe that we can learn the instruction of Torah and have all those things, then realize that Yeshua perfectly walked out and fulfilled, not to do away with, but fulfilled and filled up full of meaning all of the words through his testimony, his actions, his teachings, the parables, and through the work of the disciples. The two of them work hand in hand. And you see that the two, the way those two things work together is the same way that you should look at the way Moses and Joshua worked together. That they worked hand in hand and that there was a time that Moses couldn't get go to the promised land. Mo, Moses was flawed. Moses struck the rock when he should have spoke to the rock. But it's Yeshua that then takes the staff and actually is the one who leads us to the promised land. But the two work hand in hand. And you got to remember, where was Joshua when Moses was on the mountain? He was halfway up the mountain. He wasn't there intermixing with the people of, with the sin. He was there too. And so the two work hand in hand. And so whenever you see Joshua here, um, you can relate that to and, and spiritually compare that to the leadership of Yeshua. And you see this beautiful transition of the leadership of Moses being passed to Joshua. The next verse, verse 7, Moses now turns, instead of addressing the people, telling them to be strong and courageous, he then turns to Joshua. 
This man, who was believed to be a younger man, though he was older than 20, he was one of the spies that went into the land and that he was one of only two of that generation, older than 20, that got to enter into the promised land. So he turns to Joshua and he says this, in the sight of all Israel, so we have witnesses, he tells Joshua this, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Those Almost the same sounding words, but then personally directed toward Joshua. I kind of look at this with a little bit of humor, in a little bit of a humorous sense, because Joshua's been there the whole time. Moses has been dealing with these people left and right, complaining, bickering, all the issues that, that they've been dealing with. And he turns to Joshua and he says, look, you're now going to be the leader and you're going to need some strength. You're going to need some courage because you must go with this people. You know, these people, these guys, the ones that have been complaining and bickering and rebelling left and right. And so he's turning to him and he's encouraging him. And so I find it a little bit funny if you, you can take a humorous look at it, that Joshua is going to need as much courage and, and strength as possible when we're talking about the children of Israel. And I've said many times over, it's a, the appropriately named children of Israel because there was a lack of spiritual maturity on their part. And we see that if you continue to read on through Joshua, you'll see all the same sort of struggles and issues with certain people of the children of Israel. And that Joshua was a was the anointed leader. Joshua did a great job, but he was he was probably needed every bit of encouragement that he could muster when it comes to dealing with these people and, and this nation that was going into the promised land. That should be an encouragement to all leaders, ministry leaders, teachers. The, we, they need encouragement as well. Speaking life into those that it's like the, sometimes it's not easy serving the Lord, dealing with people. This isn't just for ministry leaders. This is for anybody that might work a job where you have to deal with people in the public at times. You've got to be encouraged and strengthened because you just never know what you're going to have to deal with from one moment to the next. But be, be of good courage. The Lord will be with you. The Lord will not forsake you. And that he will continue to encourage you and strengthen you through all of this. One of the other things that's interesting here, this blessing that's given to, to Joshua here, he says this, this is kind of interesting language, where it says this, he sworn the land um, to the forefathers to give them this land, and that you, Joshua, shall cause them to inherit it. That's kind of an interesting bit of language. How do you cause somebody to inherit something when you're talking about an inheritance? This has been sworn to them. It's going to be given to them. God said it's going to be given to them. But however, Joshua, you the leader, you have to cause them to inherit that. I believe what that is, is that is a bit of counsel and a teaching to somebody and to all leaders that you have to teach those that are under you. You have to instruct them to cause them to grow, nurture, and learn so that then they earn the inheritance that has been given to them. 
Think of a story like this where you have a father and a son or you have a, and you have a family inheritance and the father has the inheritance and he's ready to give it to the son. And then what if the son has lived a, a pretty, maybe not a great life. Maybe he's been very disobedient. He's been rebellious. He's like, you look and you're like, man, I don't know if, if the father is sitting there with his inheritance and he's like, has my son done what he needed to do to deserve that inheritance? And you sit there and you might wonder, and that father is then going to question if he, if he wants to give that inheritance to, to his son because he's been rebellious and he's disobeyed. What I almost think, and that, that should maybe point back to the father, you've got to remember one of the greatest commandments and instructions is for a parent and a father to teach their children. Teach them. Teach them the ways of the, of the Lord. Teach them how to obey. Make sure you're the one who's sharing the words of instruction that came through Moses and sharing those words. And teach them. And you have to then raise them up to cause them to earn the inheritance. That's something that we should keep in mind as fathers, as leaders, that we work to cause the people who are under us to earn that inheritance. The Lord says it's, it's theirs. But what it is, is you also want to be encouraged and strengthened for the future. You want to be um, uh, look to the future and know, hey, when I hand this inheritance to my son, that he's then going to do well with it. That he might even succeed beyond what I was able to do with the inheritance that I got from my father. And that should be the testimony of many who are then cause those that are under them to earn the inheritance. Lift them up, encourage them, strengthen them. Don't just leave them to their own devices. You have to lead them. You have to nurture them. You have to be that. That's why you're there. If they could do it on their own, they wouldn't need a leader. But human nature, that's exactly what we need. We need an example to follow. And that's why we have the greatest example of Yeshua the Messiah as being our leader and the one, the example for us to follow. And that's what Joshua has to be for these children of Israel going into the promised land. Let me go to Joshua chapter 1, where this is kind of re- repeated here for us uh, in the first couple of words of uh, the book of Joshua, because it's recounted, yet there's a little bit of another layer, another stipulation that comes with this uh, blessing that goes to Joshua, and what God says he's doing with the people. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. And I said to Moses, from the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people... You shall divide as an inheritance to the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe and do according to the law of the Moses, uh, the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to what is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Excuse me. One of the extra layers to this uh, phrasing now is that it says this, is that you must meditate on these words day and night. You meditate on this law and this instruction. You may observe, do according to what is written in it, for then you will be prosperous, then you will be successful. There's a stipulation there. God could just hand them the inheritance of the land and give it to them, and then they just, uh, then they're strong, they're courageous, they dispossess all the people of the land, and then it's given to them, and God will never leave them nor forsake them, right? Actually, there's a stipulation of that, and this goes back to the covenant between man and the, between the children of Israel and between God. They must follow the commandments. There are stipulations. There are blessings for keeping it. There are curses for not keeping it. Going back to our Torah portion in chapter 31, this is outlined here as well. After uh, Moses brings Joshua, inaugurates him in verse 14, brings them before the people and they stand at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and this all takes place in the presence of God where the pillar of cloud appears and that's in verse 15. Verse 16 starts to say this, the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers and the people will rise and play the harlot with gods of the foreigners of the land and they will go and be among them and they will forsake me, break my covenant which I've made with them. My anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us and I will surely hide my face from them in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods God started off by saying I will not leave you nor forsake you but then he says look if you go after the other gods breaking my covenant following something that I have not commanded, then I will forsake you and I will hide my face from you. And you might say, is our God not among us? And it's like, yeah, he's hiding his face from you. And he won't be there if you break those commandments. That is a stipulation. So all of that is extra layers to this idea that God will be with you. Be strong. Be courageous. God will help you through all of those things. But you must remember the words that he has said. You have to keep those commandments. If you love him, keep his commandments. Obey his word. If you don't obey his word, then you must not love your heavenly father and love the God that delivered you from all the trials and tribulations and struggles. Even though he brought you through a wilderness, he's bringing you into the promised land. He will bless you, but you also have to return back to him. We have to keep the covenant. As we said in previous week's portions, do we have to do our part, bring our best to show that we love him and keep the commandments? We have to reread the contract of the covenant. We have to bring our gifts, our first fruits to him as a sign of our covenant. We have to remember the words. We have to keep his appointed times so that we reiterate the covenant that we have with him. Only then will our way be prosperous. Only then will we be successful.
And there's times in the history of Israel when this was the case. Other times, they fell away from the faith, they followed after other gods, and then curses and all kinds of uh, bad things happened to them. The same curses that are described in our passages that talk about how they'll be scattered into the nations, they'll be serve other gods and foreign kings and all these things, and that is the history of Israel of not keeping the commandments. But at times, there is prosperous ways that the Lord will be with them and guide them. In the same way, in your personal walk of faith, the Lord will be with you. He will lead you. He will guide you. And you'll be peaks and valleys. There'll be hard times. There'll be good times. But continue to be faithful to remember the commandments that God has spoken and do them. Not just observe them, not just read about them, but have your life actually mimic those words and be affected to where you act upon the words that you have heard, whether they're spoken or whether you have read them. One of the keys is to remember the words. Remember what God has said. Remember the covenant. Read this book. Our uh, commandment right here in the middle of this chapter is exactly for that purpose. Verse 9, it says this, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests and the sons of Levi who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of of release, uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. There's the instruction right there. Remember the words. Read them in the hearing of all Israel. Once again, in ancient times, not everybody had a copy of their scripture. They had to go, they had to appear before the Lord, and it was read to them every seven years. A couple of reasons why this is given here. At the Feast of Tabernacles, why is it told to read at the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, one... The Feast of Tabernacles is the wedding feast. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time to renew and reread the words of the Ketubah and the covenant that we have with God. It's a time of rejoicing and the words of the law should be a delight to us. They should encourage us and it goes hand in hand with the worship of God and the rejoicing before the Lord. Another uh, couple of reasons, it's the at the end of the harvest. And that at that time, whenever you receive the blessings of the harvest, that you are to remember who gave you the means to receive those blessings and receive that harvest. So then you read the words again, and so right with it, whatever's going on around that time of year, that it's all uh, it's all connected to the words and the commandment and the covenant that God has given to us. And the blessings that we receive, they come from God. And we're reminded of that. One of the other things is this. It was at the year of release when all debts were forgiven. That's the sabbatical year. This was a thing that happened every seven years. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that if I only did one thing every seven years, I might forget how to do that one thing. So as we're going in and building a kingdom and we're getting ready to have the sabbatical year, the year of release, when debts are forgiven, it's like, all right, we're going to sit down. We're going to reread these words so that we're all clear on what the sabbatical year means. 
what it does for us. Okay, uh, question, I sold my possession of my land. Do I get that back at this time? No, 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 that happens at the Jubilee year. This is the time in which debts are forgiven, year of release. And so if you have any debts, then that's what's going to be released in the following year. Okay, got it. That time of instruction, that was a very important um, the time for people, children of Israel, if they kept the sabbatical year correctly, they needed to make sure that everybody was clear on the law and how that worked. Now, unfortunately, children of Israel didn't keep the sabbatical year very well, nor the year of Jubilee, and they went into Babylonian captivity because of it. But that's one of the reasons that makes perfect sense why it was read at that time. One other thing of note personally, why should it be read every seven years? Now, I actually encourage us in the modern day where we all have our Bibles or scriptures and you got it on your iPhone, you can pull up the internet and pull it up in two seconds and it fits in the, in the, in your pocket. You should probably read it more than every seven years. We have that luxury, we have that blessing that we can do, we can follow the words and the commandments and be encouraged and fed by the spiritual bread that is the Word of God on a regular basis. But every seven years, it's almost, there's, there's something different. What changes every seven years? You may have heard the phrase this, every cell in your body changes every seven years. You are a completely different person on a molecular level every seven years. You grow, you change, your taste change, your taste buds change. If there's ever something that you used to not like to eat and you didn't think it tasted very good, wait seven years. And then if your taste buds change and you're like, you know, actually, I kind of like that again. And that's always something I'm going to tell my kids because I remember that. I used to not like all kinds of foods, but now I eat almost anything as long as it's kosher because my taste buds have changed and I actually like more things now. Lives change every seven years. You may have heard the uh, statement before that if a married couple gets together and if they last longer than seven years, then there's a high probability that they stay married for the rest of their life. I think there's a great principle that works there where it's like two people fall in love, they love each other. If after seven years the two people have completely changed, completely changed in maybe their thought process, their mindset, they physically changed, and after seven years they still love each other and desire to be in covenant, then yeah, they're in it for the long haul because they still are committed to that relationship. Think about that now with your relationship in the covenant with God. Every seven years, things change, life changes, new jobs, family members grow, you move. If you, every seven years you still believe these words, if you hear these words and then you attest that say, yes, I believe in the commandments and the covenant and the word of God, and I will continue to follow it. If you still do that after seven years of following the Lord and hearing those things, then very good. You have to, that, that's the, you are a completely different person, yet you still hold on to that covenant in that relationship. Now, that's not license for you to every seven years. Well, it's like, okay, well, seven years is up. I guess this isn't working for me, so I'm going to stop believing in God now. No, I, I'm not encouraging that to be the case. But let it be a reminder and a refresher to you to then when you become a whole new person, let the words become new to you again. Let the words become alive to you again. How many times do you open up your Bible and your scripture and you read something and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never read that before. I didn't know that verse was in there. I didn't know it was said in that way. Man, that's now my favorite psalm because I apparently I'd never read it before. Even though you may have, something becomes alive and new to you again. That's what I actually believe is the purpose, that may these words be read to you every seven years, and I guarantee they will be new and alive and powerful and different to you the next seven years that you hear it. 
And so we do that. So we do this um, at the Feast of Tabernacles at times when we have believed that it's a seven-year cycle and that it's a sabbatical year. We have done that at our uh, Feast of Tabernacles, and other people have done it as well, and read the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy at that feast, at that festival, in an attempt to keep these words, this commandment that is here in this Torah portion, so that those words may be renewed and become alive and powerful to us once again. As I said before, let us read the word more often than that. Let it weekly feed us. Let it daily, spiritually feed us with the word of God. Crack open your scripture, read a few verses, go to a home verse that encourages you, and read the word of God, and may it become alive to you in your entire walk and in your life. Our rest of chapter 31, uh, as it finishes off, after basically prophesying of Israel's rebellion once again, we now need another witness. Moses doing everything in his power to witness to the children of Israel to say that, to remind them to turn back to the covenant of God. Verse 19 says this, Now therefore write down this song, for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. And what follows in next week's portion in chapter 32 is the second song of Moses. Is a time in which Moses is to is speaks these words and these words of a song that it might be a remembrance and act as a witness to us to keep the words and the covenant of God. And we'll go into that uh, teaching for next week's portion and some of the details of that song. But once again, Moses is doing everything he can at the end of his life to plead with the people to remember the words of the covenant. He calls heaven and earth as a witness. He gives us not only the words to read, spoken, but a song to sing that we might hear it. He gives us actions to do that we might keep the commandments, go to the um, go to Jerusalem at the appointed times, act all of these things out, whatever way that you might learn something, whether you're an auditory learner or you learn by reading, or maybe it helps you to remember something because something is a song. We cover all of our bases here in the Word so that there is no question that no matter what walk of life that you're in, these words can be written and they can be, they are for you. They are for your benefit, for your instruction. They are for your benefit. They are for your very life. And we try to give these words to you. God gives these words to you any way He can. So that you might turn to him, follow him, turn to him as your salvation. For he is your Yeshua, your salvation, and the one in whom we should follow in all things that we do. So as we go into next week's portion, we'll cover this song and let, I pray that the words as they continue to flow from our scripture each and every week as we're coming to the end of our Torah cycle and we'll soon be renewing our Torah cycle, that the words once again become new, alive, and powerful to you every time that you hear it, every time that you read it, and through every time that the word of God becomes alive to you in your life. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for these instructions. We thank you for the man who was Moses. We thank you for everything that he did, everything that he said, and may the words that he spoke penetrate us, penetrate our lives, cause us to turn to act upon those words when we hear them. Following the commandments, the instructions, may we remember the covenant, just as, Father, you remember the covenant that you've made with us. May we remember the covenant and repay all the debts that we attempt to repay the debt back to you, Father, devoting our life 
to in the service of you. May we always look to minister to those fellow brethren who are in need. When you have blessed us, Father, cause us to turn and return the blessing back to our brethren. So, Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for all of these things, all of these instructions, and all of the words of Moses that you give to us. May it feed us and nourish us each and every day that we dig into the Scripture. We love you, we bless you, and thank you. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Fachai Alam Natah Betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the Torah of Truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, uh, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, to chapter 1. The New Testament portion that goes with Vayelik, it comes from chapter 1. And uh, let me take you to, we're going to read the first 18 verses, uh, beginning at chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read for you. Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, called an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Yeshua the Messiah, to all who have believed in God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. First, I thank my God through Yeshua the Messiah for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart from you the spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, even of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and I have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you, even also among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Those are the verses that have been selected with this Torah portion. Vayelik, as the Torah portion is, is the portion that falls between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Let us think about the setting of where we're at 
and we can understand the profundity of why these teachings come at this time. At Rosh Hashanah, we began the ten days of awe. We began to repent. And we believed in the course of these days, the days of awe, the days of fear, the days of awe of God, we're getting ready to transition from God's mercy and grace to God's justice. And on Yom Kippur, his justice falls. The uh, uh, I, I saw an interesting meme. I'm not sure that these what these things are called, but they put them on on Facebook and other social media things. And it talked about how that the um, that the people of Israel uh, thought that when the Messiah would come to him, he would come like a lion. He'd be a great hero. He'd be a, a warrior, champion, king. He would be a lion. But instead, they got a lamb. The Christians, on the other hand, believe that Yeshua is the lamb. And they think a lamb is coming back. They think he's mild-mannered and, and so forth. But he's coming back this time. He's the lion. And the transition from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is this transition from the God who is all friendly to us, raising us from the grave, showing grace and mercy to us, resurrecting us from the dead, and suddenly coming to where he judges his enemies. And he puts a lot of people in the grave. And that transition are the days that we're in. We're trying to come to terms with that we do serve a just God. And there is a day of accountability that is coming. He will judge his enemies. And Moses, in this portion, is coming to the end of his life. There's a great transition getting ready to take place. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. They're about to cross over into the promised land. They're about to go to something wonderful and good. And Moses is doing his utmost in these final words of the Torah portion to try to exact from the children of Israel that they will have, a, if you will, a head of steam to obey the Lord, to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to go forward with the Lord in living in the land and enjoying all the places of the land that uh, the promised land includes. Well, as we all know, things didn't really pan out very good. You know, instead, the warnings that he gave about unbelief, about disobedience, that they they came they came to light, ultimately leading to the children of Israel being uh, overcome by their enemies, uh, being cast out of the land, uh, and we have all this history of the house of Israel, how they were cast out of the land by the Assyrians, um, the Babylonians came and took the house of Judah, then they came back, and then the Romans finally kicked them all out. And they were scattered, and now we have the days of where the house of Judah is returned as the first element of the restoration, as the prophecy said. And we're still in this transition. We're still in this process waiting for the end of the exile. And what Moses said is true. We can examine what has happened historically versus what Moses has said. One of the things that you're going to detect in this passage is the passion of Moses uh, toward the children of Israel. We have this same thing that Paul's expressing to the Roman believers. 
this passion for them. Uh, in fact, I'm not forgetting to pray for you. The whole, you know, God is my witness that I've, he's given me on my heart to pray for you and to help you and encourage you as much as he can. Let me back up for just a little bit and let me tell you about the Romans that he was writing to and what this is, uh, partly has to do with. Paul, as you know, was arrested and was taken to Rome as a prisoner by the Romans. Now, the arrest that they had for him before he was tried was basically what they called house arrest. In other words, he had to stay there. He was free to roam around, but he had to stay there uh, before his trial. And so he had quite a bit of time. And what he used to do was he went to his Jewish brethren that were living in Rome and part of the Roman Empire and confronted them with the claims of Yeshua as the Messiah. He also, any of the Roman citizens, he would appeal to them. And he got and began to develop quite a following uh, from that. And at the moment that he's writing this, he's, he's separate from them, but he's hearing the good report because Rome was literally the center of the world. And if anything big was happening in Rome, the word of it would be spreading throughout all of the world at that point. And he is getting evidence that their testimony has begun to take shape. They're believers. They're doing well. And we also know that several other uh, apostles went there, including Peter, and, and that there was quite an effort to, to reach the world by going into Rome and to the, Ro the Roman-controlled world because they were the leading power of the world. Uh, part of the reason why Christianity has succeeded as much as they have in the last um, two generations is because the United States of America has become a leading, dominant uh, government in the world. It's considered to be one of the leaders of the world. So God has used the American nation, the American people, to help get the gospel out. That's the reason why we have a lot of missionaries that leave from this place and go out to other nations. Because, you know, God is smart enough to know that whoever is the leading nation, work with that and it will spread out. And so the same thing was going on with Rome. In those days, this is going on today with America. And so it's not a shock and a surprise to me that this modern messianic movement has taken root within the United States of America and is spreading throughout the world. This has been the pattern of how God has worked with people in the world uh, in the past, and it's certainly consistent uh, with that effort. One of the things that, uh, that I want to take note of in this passage, both at the start of it and at the back end, a couple of very important principles that are associated with our messianic faith. In the first verse, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel. All right, let me ask you something. When most people tell you about Paul, they just say the apostle Paul, right? You know, when I grew up in church, I heard about the apostle Paul. Paul the apostle. That's what I heard again and again and again. That was like his title, uh, Apostle Paul. That's not what Paul says. Paul says his title is he's the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, but he's also called an apostle. The title that he asserts first for himself is being the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, what exactly is that? 
for those of you who may not be uh, versed yet in the Torah teaching, let me give you a quick review of this. A bondservant, there is a law of the bondservant. It's in the Torah. And it is a person who has been a slave or a servant who has been set free. They have completed their time or whatever. And for the reason of love, don't want to leave. They don't want, they want to leave the master in his house. Could be because of family that are still there, uh, because he loves the master, whatever the case may be. And he becomes a bond servant when he decides to testify, I'm going to turn my freedom that's been given to me by my master, I'm going to turn it back into service to serve my master. And I'm now making myself bond or bonded to him. And it's a very specific law in the Torah. And by the way, it's a decision for life. Paul is saying that even though the Messiah has set him free from all of his sins, because of the love of God that he's making himself for the reason of love, he's making himself the servant of God. And according to the law, there's a specific procedure that you go through to accomplish this. And his testimony is now very clear with regard to that. And he's saying from the very beginning, and by the way, this isn't the only time he uses this title this way. He says, I'm first the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, and secondly, I'm called an apostle. How many men do you know in the faith that when they are introduced to you, they are introduced as so-and-so, the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, also called a reverend. I've never heard that ever associated with any person. Also called a pastor. Also called a teacher or an evangelist. Instead, the title pastor, reverend, teacher, blah, 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 has taken precedence over, and we've like gotten rid of this. You know what that indicates to me? How far we've moved away from the laws of God. How far we've moved away from the commandments of the Lord. Paul did not move away from the commandments of the Lord. That testimony right there says, I am subject to the law of the bondservant. And yet, I'm called an apostle of Yeshua. Yet, I'm called a believer. Of Yeshua. I have made myself to be a servant to him. I've translated my freedom into that. A lot of Christians are sold with the idea that when the Messiah comes, uh, he frees you from all of your sins. You're free from all of your sins. They emphasize the freedom part. How many are then told, well, actually, that freedom, you're supposed to turn that into where you become the servant of God? That the reason why you were set free was so that you could make the decision to serve God. That seems to be the second part, seems to be the part they forget. Only one or two decide to do that. And, and quite honestly, it's just not taught. It's not emphasized. But in the law, in the keeping of the commandments, it is. In fact, let me tell you something shockingly about it. The law of the bondservant is taught immediately after the Ten Commandments. Isn't that interesting? 
The law of the bondservant is taught immediately after God gave the Ten Commandments. You're supposed to be learning about how that once you're free from sin, you're supposed to become the servant of God. The, uh, that's a very powerful relationship with God. And that's part of the reason why Paul is so committed to the Romans and the Roman believers is because he has the heart of God. He knows what God wants to do with the people. And the same thing is true of Moses, who was the servant of God. He knew what was God's heart toward the children of Israel, and he was beseeching the children of Israel to stay with the Lord and believe him and trust him because he knew what God wanted to do with them and do good to them. Now let me shift to the very last verse that we have in this portion. Um, one of the last verses, I should say. Uh, and I want to address this, because this is also an important part of the modern messianic movement. It is uh, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I, I know this may be a little hard for you to believe, but way back 30, 35 years ago, when I got involved with the Messianic movement, you can't believe the number of times I had to quote that verse and my other fellow brethren had to quote that verse to convince pastors and religious leaders and so-called churchmen that the gospel can also be shared with Jewish people. Because they thought, hey, well, you're a Jew, well, forget it. You don't want anything to do with the gospel. And they forget the history that the gospel was first given to Abraham, to his descendants, and that when the Messiah came, he did the work with the Jewish people first. And then it was intended to go out to the Greek or out to the other nations. And what Paul is saying, I'm not afraid or ashamed to talk to a Jew nor to a Greek about sharing, because it's for all of you. It's not for one of you over the other. And you can't believe 30-some years ago, and by the way, there's still some pastors that think the same thing today, that um, the gospel really isn't for the Jewish people. You know, that we, you know, you remember the big stir when the Southern Baptists came out and they want to preach the gospel to Jews and everybody's having a fit? And I think the other denominations were like saying, I don't know why the Southern Baptists are quite, quite saying they have to preach the gospel to the Jews. The Jews are all taken care of. Forget them. You know, we're moving on. You remember certain other religious leaders that they would go around saying, well, the Jews have their covenant with God. And, and in fact, uh, Pat Robertson, while he was running for president, is one of the most terrible things I ever heard in my life. He said, uh, well, the Jews, they have the Levitical covenant. We Christians, we have the new covenant. What the heck is that? What, what, what's that supposed to mean? You know, you're saying that salvation doesn't belong to all people? You're saying the gospel doesn't go to all people? You're saying you don't have to share the gospel with Jewish people? Had Moses taken the posture, we don't need to share uh, this covenant that God has given to us from Mount Sinai. We don't need to share it with any aliens or sojourners. How do you think that would have gone over when, when God said that he saved Israel so that they might be a light to all the nations, what does that mean? The light to the nations. What are we talking about? A couple of Duracells and one of those flashlight things? Are we talking about spiritual enlightenment? We're talking about the salvation of God, knowing God, who is the light. 
Obviously, God has intended things for all people of the world. In the last uh, week's portion, I emphasized this from uh, Romans chapter 10 and the week before that from Romans chapter 11. God's plan all along has been for all people. And um, the, uh, he's making this statement here to the Romans. Now, here in Rome, we have Jews and we also have Gentiles. We have Romans and Jews. And he's preaching the gospel and sharing it to both of them. He's telling them all about it, trying to bring them to understand, appeal to them, uh, build an argument of logic and spirituality so that they can turn to the Lord and trust the Lord. And uh, the uh, thank goodness, you know, as the Messianic movement has progressed, now, the, many Christians now say, well, of course the gospel is to the Jewish person. And as a result of that, let me just tell you this, as a result of winning that verse over in the thinking, you can't believe how many churches have suddenly turned pro-Israel. This pro-Israel thing on the part of Christians, this isn't the history of the church. This is modern history amongst evangelical Christians to be pro-Israel. This stuff didn't exist before the state of Israel existed. In fact, when the evangelicals prior to 1948 spoke in positive terms of what God wanted to do with Israel to bring them back to the land and do some other things like that, they were considered heretics by the entire Christian world. All of a sudden, evangelical Christians hit the map when the state of Israel came to be. And in the course of my lifetime, many of them have taken steps to become very pro-Israel. Well, guys, I'm all for that. I, I'm grateful for that. I'm happy to see that happen. I encourage many to do it. But let me just go ahead and tell you, the message that is in the scriptures is not only are you supposed to be pro-Israel, you're supposed to understand your part of Israel. That God's provision for you and his hope and future for you but is from the promises made to Israel are also the promises to you. And for the last oh, 40 years, we've been going through this identity crisis. Well, who am I? What am I? Am I a Jew? Am I a non-Jew? Am I, you know, what? especially in the Messianic movement. It's time for the identity crisis to be over with. We all belong to the Lord. We're all in the same covenant together. And by the way, God has given us many covenants. We're part of all of them. One didn't replace the other. They all add together. And our, we have the same hope and we have the same future. And when God establishes the covenant of peace in his messianic kingdom, all of us will be part of it, not just some of us. So the gospel is for all people. The good news is for all of us. And that's the way we should walk it out. That's the way we should regard one another as being our brethren, no matter what color of skin or ethnic background or whatever the case may be. And I don't care if it's, well, this fellow's Jewish or that fellow's not Jewish or he's only partly Jewish. Or, who cares? That's not the determinant. 
That's not what God set up. You know, he did not set up well that if you have white skin and you appear to be Scandinavian, you're going to be a believer. That's not the way it works. So here's Paul emphasizing this from the very beginning in his book of Romans, beseeching them, trying to show his great love and affection toward them. Moses in Vayelech is coming to the end of his days. He's expressing his great love of his brethren of Israel. And the stage is being set for him to share in Ha'azinu his final song, the second song of Moses, which, by the way, the Scripture says in the book of Revelation that all the saints will sing the song of Moses, that second song that he gives to us in the next Torah portion. Um, I'm hoping that as we come through this Torah cycle and we complete it for the year, that you'll have a a renewed sense of vision, uh, particularly of yourself, that you're part of the remnant of Israel, that the Torah is for you, that the Messiah came teaching these same things, that Paul understood these things and was elaborating on it. He didn't come start a new religion called Christianity. We didn't start with new covenants and abandon the other ones. And God has not changed character. That in fact, all that God has been doing from the very creation of the heavens and the earth is still on plan with what he's planning on doing in the kingdom. So I encourage you uh, in your faith, brethren, and uh, I want to encourage you to renew. Now, in very shortly after we get through the fall holidays, there will be a new Torah cycle. We're coming to the conclusion of the teaching of the Torah for this year. Um, if you weren't a part of the whole year, I encourage you, start new and afresh. And here very shortly we'll start again the teaching of the Torah and the teaching of the Scriptures so that we can all be strengthened in our faith. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around saying, yes, but Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom. Shalom.
a gift from God to put a smile upon your face. He's got the whole world in his hands, so obey his commands, and you will know peace. Shalom.